Hello and welcome to today's edition of Family Life Today, hosted by Dave and Ann Wilson. Family Life Today is presented by Power to Change, known in the US as Family Life. We hope the program will encourage you in your most important relationships. So if I give you a season of parenting, Mm -hmm. I'll give you one word, you give me your first thought. Okay. Uh, Baby stage. Tired. (laughs) Toddler. Training. Grade school. Fun. Really? Mm -hmm. Middle school. Um, Questions. Teenager. Love. Loved it. High school. Loved it. College. Oh, sad. They're gone. And now adults. Awesome. Oh, how about this? Grandkids. Amazing. Yeah, we just spent four days, five days, six days with four of our grandkids. And let me just add, I could have had so many more words. Like each one of those stages is beautiful and brilliant and incredibly hard. Yeah. (laughs) All at the same time. But when you said fun during the teenage years, I knew you had boys. Really? Yes. Is that pretty just, true of parents with pretty teenage tough boys? with girls. Oh, just what saying. would your word have been? And you've oh, already let heard. Me, yeah. Let me, by the way, tell you who just jumped in here. <laughs> Bev Hendricks Godby is with us with her brother, Bill Hendricks, who wrote a book called So How Do I Parent This Child? We actually talked about it yesterday. It's fabulous what oh. you've written in this book. And just your helping coach us how to see the giftedness in not just our kids, but in every person. So welcome back to day two. Thank you. Thank you. Today. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, we're talking about our own kids, but as you think about your kids and even the different stages that we just talked about, anything come to your mind when you're thinking of, you know, from babyhood all the way up to adulthood? And let me add, Bev and Bill both have three daughters. Three daughters, right. But there's a difference in the dad and the mom, I'm sorry, but there is, of girls. Okay. Um, Because the monument in the backyard is for the dad. You know, the the father was perfect, and they love him to pieces. That's the mom, from the girl's perspective. Yes, yes. yes, but it's hard when they get into those teenage years and they're being their own person. And someone did tell me that, and I'm holding on to it, it that it may be true, is the stronger you are as a mom, the more they have to react to you because they have to be who they are. Mm. And then one day they'll come back when they have their own children. So that kind of is proving true. So I'm I'm with you on amazing with the grandkids. I have a friend with three daughters and we've raised our kids at the same time. She would say those exact same words. Whereas I was delighting in these teenage years with boys. Like it was so fun. She was like, it was a wrestling for her a little mm-hmm. bit more. Absolutely. And now her girls are all adults, and they really have all just come back. She is the hero, and there's a monument for her at this point, <laughs> as well as the dad. Bill, what was it like for you? <laughs> and let's say, too, you've had a unique experience because you lost your wife, the Correct. mother of your three girls, when they were how old? Yes, my first wife passed away when they were 15, 13, and 8. So it was right at that stage there where Beth's Mm. talking about, at least for the two older ones, where they're entering that contentious period. But because their mother was ill, you know, they dialed it back, I think, as much as they could. Mm. Then she passed. And now it's my job to raise them. And girls don't seem to do that with daddies. You know, and so we didn't have those knockdown drag out no. fights in my house. So, Bev, there was a monument in his backyard to him. <laughs> Absolutely. With his girls, especially if yeah. he became the father and the mother for those girls. Yeah. Somehow we survived. They're doing fine today. I'm still sane. So, 
That's know, God amazing. was gracious. By the grace of God. Hmm. So talk about, you know, we mentioned yesterday, I mean, you directed the Global Center for Giftedness, which mm-hmm. is seeing the wonders, you know, seeing the giftedness in your children and others. And we spent a whole day talking about how to parent that way. You talk in your book about as a parent, you're a steward. Mm-hmm. You've been given a stewardship. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, you don't own these children. Mm. You don't own this child. That child belongs to God because God made that child. And then, for mysteries I don't understand, handed it over to you or to me. And so you, you've been given a trust. And stewardship means that you, you take that trust and you want to ultimately hand that trust back to the person that gave it to you. It's a very utilitarian term transactional term, but with a return on investment, which means that trust has a certain potential of what God purposed into that individual, that person. God wants to see that person thrive and flourish and make a contribution to the world. And the best way that happens is that you as a parent help that child begin to wake up to who they are, which really means in large part their giftedness, that which God has given them by which to cause the world and its people to flourish. And you celebrate that and you help them celebrate those strengths and begin to lean into them so that by the time they leave at 18 or whenever, they've got a sense of confidence about their strengths and who they are. They've got a sense of direction about how they can contribute to the world. And we play a vital part in this with our kids of seeing, as you said yesterday, where they find their energy, their passion, that those are things we should be observing. I love the story you told about your dad and a teacher. Talk about Mrs. Noe. When he told this story, he totally lit up. And let us say, your dad is Howard Hendricks, and a lot of our listeners probably know that he was a seminary professor at at Dallas Theological Seminary. Many of us have known. He was gifted to the task of teaching. Hmm. He, If you look in the dictionary under teacher, you (laughs) would find his name because... He was born to teach. He, yeah. he and loved he said, to teach. I, he said, I live to teach. Mm-hmm. Really? This was a great story for me because he was in his 57th year of seminary at that point, just starting. And I was asked to speak to a group of teachers. And the topic I was supposed to teach, how do we make this just not another year? And I remember the look on his face of puzzlement almost when I said that to him because he said, oh, my goodness, no year is ever like any other year. I mean, these guys, they're all different and they have all new questions. And he just came even alive in that moment. But he told me the story of Miss Noe because he had a a teacher, Miss Simpkins, and I think it was fifth grade and she hated him and he hated her. just equally. He was the worst kid in the room. He did everything that you're not supposed to do. He was always, he said, I knew every corner in that room I had stood in him. (laughs) And um, so a terrible year. The kids loved him. He'd get everybody going and everyone would be doing, throwing spit wads and stuff like that. And she knew exactly who it was. And so he was always in trouble. (laughs) He said, and then I got released from jail. Summer came and he's having a great time, but then he has to come back. And he said, I'm in sixth grade. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. So he walks into his sixth grade teachers and she calls roll and she gets to Howard Hendricks. And she said, 
oh, I've heard of you. And he goes, here we go. Here we go. And uh, she said, I don't believe a word of it. She said, I think you're exactly who we need in this room this year. He just was floored. And he thought, well, this won't last. But it did. And he said, I became like her favorite person. I would do anything for this woman. (laughs) And he said, we were lining up in the hall one day. Miss Simpkins walked by and gave him this really dirty look (laughs) and then said something to her, I'm sure, that was derogatory. He heard her say, oh, no, he is my best student. He is model student. And the lady was just, he said, I was just nasty enough that I turned around and just shot her a look, you know. (laughs) Well, talk about that based on our discussion yesterday. Well, you think, how could this be giftedness? Right. Like so bad in one room and so good in the other. But. You see, his giftedness was about getting a response. Mm. And Miss Simpkins would not give him anything but a negative response. And he's like, okay, bring it on. He's getting a positive response from all his classmates. They think he is everything. And so that's what he does. The next year, Miss Noe had somehow, I would wish she was still living. I would love to ask her, what did you see in him? Because she saw something in him. And thought, I can turn that around. Mm -hmm. So she said, here's who you are. Here's who I believe you are. And he lived up to it. Mm. So how does that work as a parent? If you've got a son or daughter that's sort of acting out. Right. For whatever reason. That's a good question. It's a a cautionary tale in many standpoints, not the least of which is to channel the giftedness in a positive Mm -hmm. direction instead of shaming it. Yeah. Which is often the parent's first response. Right. Well, you guys, we just talked yesterday, and I'm thinking we were talking about video games. I was recollecting how many times I walked into the room when our son was playing video games. I said, this is the biggest waste of time. You're going to amount to nothing if you do this all day. And then I'm like, oh, I really did that wrong. (laughs) We say develop a positive language Mm. for what it is that they do what it is that they love to do or incline toward. And I say this with a lot of regret, but one of my twins was very, very quiet. And I used to refer to it as slow to warm up, Mm. which is kind of negative. Mm. If I had only been able to say she takes the time she needs to feel comfortable, now I've described her in a positive way and I have really affirmed she knows the time she needs in order to feel comfortable. And those are the kinds of things a child with a lot of power, for instance, packed into him can get a lot of nicknames that are not positive. It doesn't feel positive when they're completely blowing through your house and they're on their (laughs) 15th tantrum for today. But there is something about that power that has been packed in that little body that they can't handle yet. They don't know how. And so to channel it into some alternative thing. I have my oldest grandson has a lot of energy. I remember watching him one time and I thought, this house is going to (laughs) explode. It is. And I said, sweetie, you're going to have to go out and run around the block. I said, we just need that right now. I don't think we can really, I don't think the house can take anymore. The house is going to explode. Yeah. And he went out. He goes, okay, Nana. And he went out and he ran all the way around the block and he came out and he goes, do I need to go around again? And I said, yeah, I think, I think we need that. You know, he loved it. We have a son that was very much like that growing up. 
lots of energy, a leader. He'd cry, he'd yell. And I think the first time he preached at our church, I think he was 19, and he was doing all those things on the stage. Yes. He's crying. He's passionate. He's yelling. I had tears in my eyes, and I turned to Dave and like, it all makes sense all now. Makes sense. There you go. And that's what you're saying. Yes. We're looking. We're discovering. We're watching. In, in a sense, is it, and I think I remember reading this in your book, uh, Proverbs 22, 6, mm-hmm. train up a child in the way you should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. That has often been taught in a very different way Correct. than what you're describing it right now. Explain that. Well, the verse, if you get it through the Hebrew, the idea is opening of the child's way. The child has a certain way, which means a certain bent, hmm. by virtue of how God's designed them. And the child is trying to express that bent, go in that way. And so you train that child up according to their bent so that when they're older, they will live into that bent. Hmm. It's really almost like a, a farmer that's got a plant or a tree hmm. that they're trying to slowly over time groom to be what it was meant to flourish so that it will bear the fruit that it was meant to bear. Bill, talk about making a cake at five years old. I was kind of fascinated <laughs> by this, actually. She actually read it out loud to me I when did. she read that. Like, in, what in the world? There, and may I say that the editor of the book did not believe this was a true story. Yeah, it's hard. She said, no no five-year-old could and, do this. Yeah, no, no, no one's going to believe that. And I will tell you that he did do this. I said okay? the same thing to Dave. Like, how is this possible? Yes. Go ahead, Bill. Tell us so about it. So the story is that when I was five, my mom was going out one day, and I was going to be home for the afternoon. I, I didn't want to be bored. I said, is there something I can do while you're gone? And I had been watching mom cook since I was born. So I, I actually already knew my way around the kitchen At for five a five-year-old. Old. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, your dad's having his birthday party tonight. We need to make an angel food cake. So why don't you, you know, mix it up and put it in the oven? Sounds good. So she leaves. Okay, okay, Bill, you're five, which means you're reading. I guess. Anyway, <laughs> I go out, we were, both I go out to the kitchen, and and I pull down my mom's mother's home companion cookbook, and I look up angel food cake, and I get the eggs out and the flour out, and I separate the whites <laughs> and then beat them up, mix all this stuff together, put it in the pan, put it in the oven, you know, when the time's up. I pull it out. In those days, we had Coke bottles, and and you'd put the pan on top of the Coke bottle to let it cool. And so my mom comes home, and I'm back in my room playing. About three minutes after coming home, she comes into my room going, Billy, how did you make this cake? And she's holding a box of Duncan Hines angel food cake mix, which had apparently been in the cupboard, and I just didn't notice it. And... To me, in retrospect, we've looked at that as kind of an example of my own giftedness trying to express itself. But it's important to say that he it didn't grow up to be a baker. Age. Yeah, I like, didn't grow up to be a baker. But what was it in him that could do it? Like, what was the gift? What do you think, Bev? Be in control, be in charge. He was going to do it. <laughs> so if he and had was, responsibility, he's like, I'm well, well, yes, but it was an idea that he had in his head, and he's going to make it happen. 
And he is very good at doing that. And and he'll own it and kind of figure out how to do it. He doesn't ask a lot of questions. He's very independent in terms of how he works. And so he just, he didn't ask anybody. He just did that. I'm just going to say, I've made an angel food. (laughs) Yes, they're not easy. They are not easy because you have to whip those egg whites to the point where they're stiff. And almost nobody would know that unless they've baked for a while. Well, in retrospect, I would point out this was in the days before electric beaters too so you're oh, talking the hands you get the hand beater. i think so yeah i must have That's and and we amazing. don't really remember how it turned out either just saying well it's interesting i'm know, sure it was the best <laughs> I mean, it had to be incredible made. i mean you listen to that story and you think you would become wolf game puck mm-hmm. but it wasn't about that right right that was wasn't. part of it but it was bigger than that it was see the giftedness is not in the activity it's in the person right yes so you can do a wide variety of activities that many of which bear no relation whatsoever to each other. And yet when you look at what's driving that behavior, you find a very consistent pattern. Which is why when we tell parents to observe, which is really about being mindful and aware of what kids are choosing to do and what they love to do, what they prefer to do. And that is what you're paying attention to. But don't make conclusions about that. Mm. Just observe it. Maybe take note of it. It's a great idea if it's an unusual thing to write it down because it'll probably occur again. And then you can, over time, they'll have more language and more ways to help you see what that giftedness could be about. Mm. Now, what happens to a child when the parent sort of judges it or shames it or critiques it, it could be a simple comment like, that's a stupid thing to waste your time doing. You know, well, when, you're, me, when you're making the observation, but you make the judgment that it's not what I like or what, you know, they're not becoming like I thought they would. And you judge it or you shame it. What happens to that child? Nothing good. I'll give you the illustration. There's a kind of a giftedness we see of a person who wants to be part of a team. Like whatever we're going to do, I want to do it together going to join hands here and collaborate, right? So this little boy who's make the team is born into the family of a very rugged, self-made, individualist father, okay? You know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Well, you can almost see the train wreck that's about ready to happen, right? Because whose team does this kid want to join more than anybody else's, right? Daddy's. Yeah. So he keeps coming up and trying to join up with daddy. And daddy, with the best of intentions, says, son, you got to do it on your own. You're never going to get anywhere in this world unless you can do it on your own. Nobody's going to help you. Got to make your own way and keeps pushing the kid away. Well, you know, that cycle happens several hundred thousand times by the time the kid's 20. Mm. I mean, they're like an annuity for a psychologist, right? Mm. I mean, because the kid always thinks, wow, I'm never going to be the man my dad is. I'm a failure. Even I'm a failure. Mm. And the truth is, no, you're not going to be the man your dad is because you're made to be somebody quite different. But he has a sense of shame about that. Mm. And he cannot not do that behavior because that's who he is. But now every time he wants to team up with people, there's something wrong with me. Why can't I just do it on my own? Mm. Now, what would you say to the parent? Because I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I've done that a few yeah, times. Sure, we all maybe, have. We all have. Maybe may, way more than I even know. What do you say to the parent that realizes... I blew it in some areas with my son or daughter. What do I do? How do I rectify that or can you, I? You go and you ask for forgiveness. You own it. You help them see that I am the person in power 
and I can ask for forgiveness. I can come to you and say, I did this really badly. And kids will forgive you if you love them. Mm -hmm. They know they're being loved and they will readily almost forgive you. Mm. Um, They may not get over it quite as fast, but I think for you not only to say it to them, but then live that out and um, go a different direction with them. I think it's never too late for our kids. Uh, It is never too late. I think parents need to hear that. Have you uh, had to do that? Sure. One of you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sorry and ask forgiveness. Yeah. Say, you know, I just didn't recognize it and Mm -hmm. I did the wrong thing there. Mm -hmm. This gets into an important layer for parents. Before you can help your child discover their giftedness, Mm -hmm. you really ought to start working on discovering your own giftedness. Because if you don't, at some point, your kid's going to go, wow, thanks for helping me discover my giftedness, Dad. By the way, what's yours? You don't want to go, uh, I have no idea. (laughs) Right? I think that's really important for parents. Because if you understand your own giftedness, A, you have a framework of here's what's going to affect my own parenting. And you also have a basis of comparison and contrast. Wow, my child does things really differently than I do. Mm. And it's okay. That's a beautiful thing, yeah. to thank Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Marriage is a beautiful thing when it's working well, but when it's not, it can stretch us beyond what we ever thought possible. Would you be willing to contribute to our Save a Marriage Fund, used to help sponsor everyday Australian couples who are on the brink? To give a gift, please navigate to our website at families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab. Until tomorrow at the same time, God's richest blessings on your family. Music